welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your last line between civilization and the Sasquatches of the wilderness, here to entertain and inform you about the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by author couple Holly Ray and Ryan Prentice Garcia. Holly is the author of multiple horror and suspense novels to include the, the Easton Falls Massacre, Bigfoot's Revenge, and Come Join the Murder. She has also had multiple short stories and anthologies and published in the Bookends Review, Emerge Literary Journal, Malarkey, Rue Scribe, and many others. Ryan has also had a passion for everything horror-related and has transferred that enjoyment into his work. He has worked on multiple books, but with Holly, this is his first collaboration with the couple. He is currently writing his first solo novel, a tale which I am told involves revenge, the devil, and his favorite passion, poker. So please join me today as we sit down within the mist to discuss horror stories, Bigfoot, and how it is to work together. Welcome to the show, Holly and Ryan. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're more than welcome. Now, after reading your work, I feel like you should have some great insight into Bigfoot. So <laughs> I was curious, what do you call a sketchy looking Bigfoot? Sketchy looking Bigfoot? Hmm. What would you call a sketchy Bigfoot? Don't know. Don't know. <laughs> well, then I'm glad I'm here because you would call a sketchy looking Bigfoot a Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I really did enjoy your joint venture, the Easton Falls Massacre, Bigfoot's Revenge. Would you care to share the synopsis of the story with our audience? Um, sure. Um, so Easton Falls Massacre, Bigfoot's Revenge centers around um, a town called Easton Falls, and there's a um, retired uh, army veteran who I already forgot his name. Henry. Henry. <laughs> I'm terrible with names. Uh, and he goes hunting and goes a little farther than he plans to. And he kills something that he thought was a bear. And then he gets closer and it's, it's not a bear. It's, it's a Bigfoot. And so he carries it back to town. And then, uh, Pretty much uh, mayhem ensues, and uh, I don't want to give away much more of the actual plot, but uh, that's that's the beginning anyway. Yeah, there's a massacre. There's a massacre. Hence yeah, as a disclaimer, some of the things that we talk about here might come across as spoilers, so please be forewarned, everyone. <laughs> um, now, this work is actually fictional more than just retelling eyewitness encounters. Did you draw on any accounts people have reported about the creature? I, uh, I had a friend who lived in Washington state and she, when she heard I was writing this, she said, can you please include that I was standing at my kitchen window when I was a kid and I saw a Bigfoot walk by and, uh, we didn't include it actually. I just realized as I'm saying this, uh, cause there was, it didn't make sense for where, where someone was at a kitchen window in the story. Um, but aside from that, I, I don't have any, uh, it wasn't the actual, storyline wasn't based on anything that was real okay. what do you think? it was all real it was all real <laughs> it's all oh, real. 
I'm sorry. I, I, I thought this was in the uh, fiction. I guess it should have been in the fiction section of your life. So you basically worked in your own interpretations of Bigfoot? Yeah, we wanted something a little different. We wanted Bigfoot to be more well-rounded. We wanted um, it to be a, a clan and family and feelings and not just this killing machine that a lot of personified yeah yeah yeah. um and that hopefully you know a lot of people root for the bigfoot in the story and and i like that aspect of it and me like i'm a pretty big guy i'm six foot three and i wanted something that everybody says bigfoot seven eight foot i wanted something that towered over me so ours are 12 to 14 feet i wanted something terrifying and uh Oh well, yeah, if we can the... if we can talk spoilers, yeah, we. Um, this is up to you. <laughs> the idea of the first Bigfoot that he comes across is what a standard height, big and size Bigfoot that most people entertain in, in the stories and movies. Um, and then you know his parents come in the picture and they're like three times that size. Mm-hmm. And we liked that sort of reveal of that um, that size difference and the and the enormity of the characters. Yeah. Because I consider Bigfoot characters in the book. Oh, definitely. In fact, yeah, I got that same impression that, you know, they they come across, they kill one of the monsters, uh, (laughs) but then, you know, it's revealed, oh, this was just the baby. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. As you mentioned, the book does make you feel like you're always changing sides of who to root for. (laughs) Obviously, you want to see the people of Easton Falls survive, but in your book, the Bigfoot clan, they're not mindless monsters. How did you come across balancing humanity into such creatures? Go ahead. <laughs> um, well, as far as balancing the humanity, um, we just gave them personalities and we didn't really give them human characteristics. We made them uh, intelligent on the same level of humans. Um, and so they had, it wasn't like, well, how did we give them human characteristics or whatever? We just made them intelligent more so than how they're typically portrayed um, and gave them history and uh, rituals. And, and I love that idea of, of them being this, this clan. Yeah. Your book definitely gives them more of a culture and a tribe family feeling. In fact, the book surrounds basically a truce between men and the, the clan of Sasquatch. This is honestly one of the only few times that I can recall ever seeing the idea of a large scale number of the cryptids. Why do you think that we mostly only think of the creature as solitary? Uh, so every Bigfoot documentary I've ever seen, finding Bigfoot, they they always take the solo approach. Mm-hmm. So they're looking for one, they find one set of footprints, one. So, you know, something's gotta be creating these. They're not just coming out of nowhere. So there's got to be some type of family dynamic that we incorporated into the story. Because yeah. otherwise it's just one Bigfoot that never dies. Um, and and I think what a lot of people, the reason they do the one is because uh, then you have to incorporate relationships and, and rituals and things like that. And that's more to think about. But also you have to deal with why haven't we seen this? Why hasn't the majority of the public seen this creature? Well, it's easier to say, well, it's just one and they're hiding really well. Um, so hiding out as a whole clan, they almost have to be more intelligent mm-hmm. and more secretive and have some sort of alliance because someone's bound to know of them. Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of how that all tied in together when we decided it was going to be a group. 
No, no, I was just going to say we are working on a book, too, that delves a lot more into the social status that. Yeah, their day to day lives. Yeah, basically. So you get to find out more about where they stay, where they've been hiding, how they've been able to kind of stay out of the spotlight. Like what they eat, who, um, who, what other sort of creatures they're, they're friends with or they're not friends with. How um, they communicate. Yeah, so it's been it's been more difficult trying to come up with the language system and the communication. And well, and I said I wanted to, I really love Clan of the Cave Bear series. It was one of the first series I read as a, as a kid um, and I was in love with it. And they they had the series of grunts and hand gestures and almost sign language. And uh, I like I like that approach. We're mm -hmm. still trying to figure out how we want to do it. I think that's why it's taking so long. Well, yeah, like I said, uh, usually it's just a solo, which is a lot simpler. You're going with a complex, so of course you're going to have more complex problems. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I did like your uh, solution that the reason we don't see them is because there's a truce to hide them and for them to remain hidden. Uh, how do you are you how do you feel this truce came about? Hmm. Did so you ever think of the origins of it? I didn't. Uh, I just <laughs> knew that there had to be something, some type of human interaction in the past and some type of kind of uh, secret keeper. I uh, want to say my memory is, is horrible, but I, I want to say we. No, you can say that. We, we briefly mentioned that. Um, Kellen? The, 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 the Indian tribe most of them sort of migrated north um and then so i don't i think that's the only thing we even mentioned as far as the beginnings or something that happened beforehand um so there were very few members of the tribe there it was just this one family left um and so that's kind of the backstory of that side of it as far as the bigfoot i like thinking that they've always been there that they've been there as long as uh, you know people have been around just a different branch and I wanted to bring that up because you have a lot of similarities there between, you know, there's scientific documentaries and stuff that, you know, says that Homo sapiens existed at the same time as Neanderthals mm -hmm. and that it was actually conflicts between the two that pretty much wiped Neanderthals out. Whereas you took a flip of the coin instead of saying that Homo sapiens wiped out Neanderthals, Homo sapiens came into an agreement with the Bigfoot, which was a great idea. Thank you. We tried to do something a little different. Yeah. And I watched uh, a documentary on Gigant Gigantopithecus. Mm. Okay. Uh, I kind of got some of the ideas for size and stature based on what they had said Gigantopithecus was. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I watched a lot of documentaries. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what prompted you to bring out the idea of the peaceful race turning violent? I know there's a great catalyst for that, but do you think that they always had the potential for this level of violence in the book? Well, I think we all do. Um, and that's sort of on my personal side, I like to explore those themes in a lot of what I write, um, like Come Join the Murder, my first book. Um, it's we all have the capability of becoming monsters given the right circumstances. Um, and in that, that story also, there was a child who was killed and there was revenge. Um, but I, I think that we're all capable. I'm a mom. 
uh, I would definitely hurt someone that hurt my children. Um, it, and I think that that's why we made it a child, because to me, that's what would turn you into a monster. But it's always there as a protective measure, but not in a daily life thing. Yeah. Right. Well, your book starts off with an encounter between the rogue Bigfoot and one of the newly assigned, the newly assigned guardians of the truce, Kellen. Mm -hmm. Now, his encounter between the two involves the slaughter of a deer and pretty much that silent challenge between man and creature. Is this what you think makes a creature like a Bigfoot so terrifying is that they really don't have fear of man? Yeah. And without that kind of truce, all hell would break loose. Like it's like, it's almost, we live in Texas, right? And it's, it's similar to like horses. Horses are huge creatures capable of hurting you easily or getting out. But if you just put this like tiniest little shoestring tied to something, they think they're there for good. And that's where, that's where they have to stay. Um, and I think that's, it's similar as far as the truce kept them tied to this area. And when that was broken, they, all hell broke loose. <laughs> well, Ryan, you brought up the giant Gigantopithecus, uh, which, you know, was basically an oversized orangutan or, or ape type creature. They died out. But do you feel that if they were still around, we would have these kind of conflicts with creatures like that? I would love to say yes, but I don't think so. Uh, I think they would isolate and stay to themselves but maybe if you ran across one you'd have to worry about it protecting its young or just territory in general but they wouldn't uh, seek it yeah, out when it, when it comes to cryptids the the big thing i like to think about is if they do exist they've done such a great job at staying hidden that they do exist. that <laughs> <laughs> they uh they don't want to be found so if you do find one, it's probably not going to end well for you if it's something that's bigger and meaner. And they don't want word to get out. There you go. So why do the people of Easton Falls have such a problem believing in the danger that's about to happen to them? I mean, they kind of had their heads in the sand. Well, I think that's just a, a story tool. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't have been as fun of a story if they saw it coming. Um, but in real life, I think it. It, it, it could happen as well. People are mm -hmm. uh, pretty ignorant to things that we just don't think could ever happen. Um, that you're just sort of blinded by it, maybe. And I deny everything. Like, like yeah, there's no way that can happen. No way. <laughs> so I would be the guy in the background going, no, this, yeah, no, there's no Bigfoot out there. You're making this up. Like, it's just some deformed bear. Like, <laughs> yeah. Some type of genetic disorder. Everything's fine. Yeah, I, I would definitely be that guy. <laughs> well, every horror story has to have them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really. Now, Ryan, as a military veteran, I got the feeling that there was a bit of your experiences in Henry. Is that accurate? <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to laugh. <clears throat> so we, we it is true, but uh, it, it makes me laugh because we got a review that said, oh, what was it? Henry is just some gun-toting military asshole. asshole. Yeah, <laughs> and it's really? we yeah. did model, or it was my idea to model Henry after Ryan. So a lot of the traits, characteristics are similar. And so I was like, well, he's my, you know, asshole though. So <laughs> he's. <not." laughs> 
it was funny, but yeah, uh, it was definitely based on. Yeah, I, I did a couple deployments and uh, some of the things that that happen in the story mirror real life and just mirror, not all true, but some similarities. Well, as also a 20 year veteran myself, uh, thank you for your service. Thank you, you as well. Yeah. But let's talk about Henry Miller. Okay. He pretty much had a rough time uh, before the story even started. And he seems to always make the wrong choices. <laughs> In fact, most of the town is almost as flawed as the Bigfoot creature. Do you agree that the first instinct most people have when encountering a Bigfoot is conflict? Yeah. We uh, tend to want to destroy the things we don't understand, right? Yeah. And then he goes on to bring the Bigfoot that he killed back to town, which even worse. Yeah, that was a that was a boneheaded move. Yeah, but you'd want to show people it was real. Like if so, I've tried to put myself in that position. What would I do? And how would I get it back? And we were like, How are you gonna drag this body? And we're like, Okay, let's create a river or a stream. Like we we went through these thought processes of how you would transport something this big. And we were like, the only way you could do it is water. water. Like and the, there's water. still some suspension of disbelief because it is a story. Mm -hmm. um, and we had to get the creature back. So, But me, I would want to show people it was real. I wouldn't want to risk something else finding it and moving it. And you take them back and nobody's there. There's no trace. Um, so I'm a, I'm a firm believer and you got to see something to believe it. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed a lot of similarities with his mentality of, you know, he wanted to show everyone else that with the uh, legend of the Minnesota Iceman, uh, which was a legend in which a man was out hunting in the winter, killed a Bigfoot, and then he brought it back and froze it because he wanted to show it in a circus. Do you think Henry kind of had the same ideas that he was going to, make a name for himself with the uh bigfoot creature i don't think he really wanted to make a name for himself i think it was more of a hey guys this is out here i want to show everybody that you know there's some type of dangerous element or if he because he was still in denial that it was mm -hmm. a bigfoot so he kept telling himself it was a bear some type of deformity so maybe he, his thought process was, hey, let's get this examined, find out what's wrong with it. And do we have a problem with our wildlife in the area? Yeah, because even when the military people or government people came to town, he didn't really want much to do with that aspect of it. It was a pain in the ass to him. What was that, Holly? I said, it was okay to cuss. I just cussed and forgot to ask. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um there is a great buildup of suspense in the book. Was it a challenge to, you know, try and keep the story simmering and not just burst out with a confrontation? I think so. Yeah. The The reveal of the parents was hard to conceal, um, of the parents being so much bigger. We wanted a dramatic reveal. And if you had eyewitnesses to their first kills, that'd be gone. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we had a kid who to kids, everything seems huge. Right. So you could, didn't really interpret that as actually huge. Um, yeah. So he's telling the story and it could be anything. Yeah. And so then when you get that dramatic, uh, well, I think that he, fir we, we first, the reader first sees the parents in the um, ice room, uh, the cooler. Right. Yeah. Um, 
the meat locker kind of mm-hmm. thing. And then you, you get this visual of them trying to stand up and they're hunched. And um, we spent a lot of time building that, trying to figure out how to do that effectively. Yeah, I, I noticed in a lot of horror stories and especially yours, you try to build up suspense and then you have the surprise come out such as the size of it. Do you think it's important in these kind of books to keep as many secrets as you can until the end of the book? It, it depends on the story. Sometimes, sometimes you want the secret out early because you. for this, we weren't really trying to to build dread. We were. It was more of a, hey, let's create carnage and how can we do that <laughs> and get the audience to... To accept it as realistic. <clears throat> and I think the, the the reveal of their size added to the drama of that final battle um, that we wanted it to peak the story at. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Well, you mentioned Carnage, so I don't think it's, you know, much of a spoiler to, you know, talk about it since, you know, the word massacre is in the title. Um <laughs> But how hard was it to describe so much death and destruction in the book? I will say, I'm pointing to him because I will say 98% of the fight scenes were Ryan. Um, and I was the 2% like editing them. Because <laughs> he he's better at that sort of fight stuff. It was, it was fun. I just wanted something to, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't want it. One of the things I hate about Bigfoot is you always get these like family movies or Littlefoot um, or Harry and the Harry Hendersons. Yeah. And it's like, what would really happen if you just came across this creature that's just, it's survived for centuries or millennia? <laughs> like, is it gonna, it's not gonna take you seriously. <laughs> and, uh, you're nothing to it. And I wanted uh, kind of wanted to show that we were nothing like our weapons, our technology, our communication skills. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't stand a chance against one of these things. So you feel this was a conflict between, you know, savage nature and civilized technology. I would say that plays a part, but not, we, we never saw the, the clan as savage first. Mm-hmm. They were... Um, More protectors. Protectors. Yeah. Because yeah. all they wanted... I don't even think it was for revenge. I think it was more... I mean, it's in the title, Bigfoot's Revenge. <laughs> but uh, I think they just wanted their kid back. And they were following anyone who had dealt with this kid, that scent, that strong smell, right? The skunk gate kind of thing that uh, anyone who had that on them, they were seeking out. They could smell their kid. Mm-hmm. So, like, and I'm just going to, I can sit there and try to beat around and not spoil. And, but, uh, spoil, we said it was okay. But when Bigfoot realizes it's child's death, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm laughing because she's pulling me back in a frame, sorry. Uh, when they realize their child's dead, they take another child and their goal is to raise that child and eye for an eye kind of thing kind of and but they're not heartless they didn't kill the child yeah they they just wanted a child back and they took one 
So in your book, you basically tie in that their culture is not more revenge, but it's more of a balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, this book is not for the timid, as there is a fair amount of gore, which adds to the terror. Uh, was there a discussion between the two of you about balancing this terror with the empathy of the creatures? Well, and I think that's where our collaboration worked well. Uh, I'm way more sympathetic, and uh, he's way better at the uh, the gore. Um, I mean, we can both write both. But our strengths definitely balanced each other in, in the book, um, being able to balance the creatures. Yeah, she she's very literary with her writing style, and I'm raw. Oh, literary. So I would say literary. Like, Yeah, I would too, because uh, when reading your book, it kind of reminded me of the old-fashioned pop, the pulp novels, you mm -hmm. know, where you had the, the hero would come in and, you know, pretty much straightforward blank you know did what he had to do but there was always the underlying story behind it so it was kind of like reading two stories at the same time which oh. i found a lot in this book so oh. yeah, I, I wanted to make sure you knew that as well thank you yeah but i really felt bad for kellen um you know he oh. was appointed as the guardian i mean he did you know did everything he could to uphold the truce you know to save the town but Honestly, I think this was just too much for one person. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to get them to stop without telling them why, because that'd be also be breaking the truce. Um, and no one's listening to him. So he's that harbinger, right? Yeah, he was definitely the harbinger character. <laughs> yeah. So do you think uh there was would have been more that you know he could have done, or pretty much he was it was gonna be a losing battle for him? I think it was a losing battle. Uh Mm -hmm. I think had they just seen it, he could have talked the town into not doing anything. But because they had brought the body back and it was kind of a lose-lose situation. It's, it's very reminiscent of Beauty and the Beast where, you know, Belle's trying to tell him that he's not a monster. Don't go after him. And they don't care. They've got red in their eyes now. Bad things have happened and they're just going to go get it. You went Beauty and the Beast. I went Beauty and the Beast. The I love Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> it's my favorite Disney movie. Well, I'm here in Orlando, so yeah, don't worry about oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, So for me, I kind of blamed the rest of Kellen's tribe, his family, because, you know, they had this responsibility and they all left. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, and he has a daughter who plays a significant role in the uh, next book. Okay. Well, the next book. I said significant role. That's all I said. <laughs> well, that's good because, yeah, honestly, for a truce of this level, I think it's too much for one person. Now, considering there's a whole other world of the creatures on the other side of the mountains, are you tying into journeying into that, you know, land, or are the creatures coming back to, uh, our side of the mountain without spoiling that one i'll say that um henry has been searching for this child um and so it's his journey trying to find the child um we don't really have a title yet for the second one tentatively beyond easton falls maybe but it will not happen in the town it, it'll all happen in the wild okay so you're gonna you're gonna touch then on the world of uh bigfoot mm -hmm. 
what do you feel they are? Are you touch? Do you, in your own opinions, not tying into the sequel, do you feel that they are more nomadic, or do they have villages and so forth? They they are the opposite of nomadic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they uh to to stay hidden. They they have been in this area for you know, centuries. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they've got a a nice little hideout and a way in and out. And... Yeah, and a uh, way to bury eat their people, the way to eat. Um, mm-hmm. They've got a happy little little thing going. And you think this helps to explain why people haven't seen them? Yes. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think it works well. Like, so I used to live in Turkey as a kid and there, there were a lot of places that were found just in the nineties that were massive and, you know, right behind people, right below people, right above people. So, I mean, there, and these things had been there for centuries and nobody discovered them till like cave systems. Yeah. The 1980s, 1990s. So you've uh, definitely explored a large number of ideas about Bigfoot in your book. What kind of background experience of meeting or feeling like you've been stalked by a Bigfoot? Any personal experiences? I have zero personal experiences with uh, encountering anything like this. Um, I grew up on the Texas coast. Uh, Not a lot of (laughs) sightings here. Um, But I did grow up watching sci-fi movies with my dad, uh, including Bigfoot uh, and all of those Um, so I grew up around the idea of the, the wonder of it and, and it could be out there. And uh, I don't know about you. You were in Turkey, did you? No, I like the Turkey. <laughs> I don't know. Isn't no. there the, the thing? <clears throat> There's a bunch of different things everywhere. But uh, the, the biggest thing for me was, was scaring myself. Mm-hmm. So I would go watch these documentaries or watch these scary movies. And the, like I remember I watched The Predator when I was like seven or eight years old and we all went camping the same night oh God. <laughs> and every pair of red eyes I saw, I thought the predator was going to get me. And I think that's one of those things. Like if you're not used to being in nature and you see something like that, or you read something like this, and then you go in nature, every sound is going to be some type of cryptid or scary monster or you kind of psych yourself out. Every noise you hear, you you want to blame it on something. And Bigfoot's a very common it, subject yeah. to blame it on. <laughs> and another thing with Bigfoot is there's bears everywhere. And, you know, a bear can stand, uh, what is it? A black bear stands eight feet tall, mm-hmm. which, which will make, if it's just walking, <laughs> And you see it, or it stands up, and you see it. That I would think, dark. That's Bigfoot. He's coming to get yeah. me. I'm out of here. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I have, you know, my mom. When she went camping one time, she was so terrified of the noises out there. And this is her logic. She would not sleep by the door because she thought the bears would get her. And I'm like, you do realize that a bear does not open and close. <laughs> so yeah when you're out there anything can uh, pop up into your head and uh, Mm -hmm. verify Mm -hmm. but why do you believe the subject of bigfoot captures so many people's fascination like it does i 
think it's one of those creatures that, um, like because of Harry and the Hendersons, there's so much affection for it, um, not just fear. So you've got sort of complex feelings where uh, it was easy to take a story where hopefully you felt a little sorry for them and rooted for them. And a little more complex, I think, um, than some of the other monsters. They seem more, maybe a little more intelligent than like a Loch Ness monster or a, I don't know. Mm-hmm. When it comes to cryptids, it's, you know, you get to stuff like Jersey Devil and you're like, ah, oh, maybe not. Mothman, maybe not. But then you think Bigfoot and you're like, ah, oh, Maybe. You know, that's how evolution works. And it, mm-hmm. is it just, a, is it another animal? Is it another human-like species that we don't know about? Like, so that's a maybe. Loch Ness Monster would be a maybe. These things yeah. did live in the ocean. Could something have got trapped? So, you know, there's certain cryptids where they're more believable than others. Mm-hmm. Well, Easton Falls is located on the Cascade Range of Washington State, not Texas. Um, did you have a lot of experience with that region when you were doing your descriptions? None. She did I wanted, all the research. Oh, so much research. Um, I wanted to visit. Um, it wasn't in our budget at the time. Um, but uh, no, I. the whole... The, the weather, the, the flora, the fauna, everything I had to research. Uh, we have a Bigfoot Bible and there's a whole section there about like what kind of trees, what kind of animals. What the weather is. What the weather time, is at yeah. this exact time of year. Um, what a cold front would look like. How, how cold would it be at night versus day. And it's a lot. It's a lot to research. And uh, I'll be honest, I don't enjoy the research process. <laughs> um pretty sure that most of my books going forward and the one after Bigfoot was set here on the Texas coast because it's what I know and then I can just focus on story and not worry about all of that um it was fun to do something a little different uh but definitely a lot of work yeah well touching on that how long did the process take for the research and then the preliminary before you even started working on this book so the book has a funny sort of background um I had just sort of decided I wanted to try writing, um, what, 2019, late 2018. And I didn't know what to write. I just wanted to see if I could. Um, I was not this writer who like as a fetus wanted to write. Um, I was always a voracious reader and, uh, love cryptids. And, uh, I asked him one day, I was like, what should I write about? I have no idea where to even start. And he said, write me a Bigfoot story. And so I did, it was terrible. No one will ever read that one. Uh, But it did open with the, I called it the hunt and it opened with Henry shooting this animal. And uh, I think I had the animal, the Bigfoot talking. Mm -hmm. He talked in that one. Um, I think he asked him why, like, why did you shoot me? But it was, it was fun. It was one of the first things I wrote. And then when we were trying to figure out what to write, together what I could write after come join the murder because that was my first book um we're like let's turn there's a lot that could still be explored with this let's turn this short story into into a book and so it was that's where we really started the research heavy stuff and the um subplots with the relationships and the people it was was probably a year from start to finish with research I don't yeah, yeah he would know I'm terrible memory yeah with research with everything 
from the time we started and said we're going to do this to the time we put the book out it was about a year mm -hmm. yeah. okay well Easton Falls is not your only works uh, for e either of you, but it is the first that you've both done together. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. All right. So how did the idea of working together come about? <laughs> well, I had written the short story, uh, but it was a very short story. And I know that the book is a novella, so it's still pretty short. But um, when we decided when I decided really to want to model Henry after his experiences, um, definitely had to bring him in with some of those, the military aspects, the fighting, um, basically, yeah. And, and he was very passionate about what he wanted this Bigfoot to be. There was one thing we disagreed on with their, I, he, he sort of wanted them to have this, um, I, I, I wanted a different mouth. He wanted a predator mouth, I did. the double jointed <laughs> And I so, thought, well, well, maybe not exactly, but I wanted something that stood out like that, like uh, so different, something alien, something different from a human being or just a but I think regular chimpanzee or ape. That would have taken away from the they're not monsters idea no, because they would look like monsters. You know what I mean? And we uh, went back and forth. On agree that. to disagree. Agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but you see what ended up happening. So you see who won. <laughs> I do. Now, so then that brings up a great question. Did the story change much from the first ideas to the finished project? Yes, a lot. Um, I don't remember the ending of the short. Do you remember? It was just bad. I think I tried to scrub it from my brain. I, I don't really remember. I don't. I, I read it like twice. And there and was, then... yeah, pretty much, I think, from bringing the, uh, the Bigfoot into town, everything was different. Yeah. Okay. So when did you start writing, Holly? 20, well, um, actually pen to paper 2019. Yeah. Ideas 2018. But so you've always wanted to be a writer? No. It, <laughs> I know, that sounds terrible. Oh. Uh, always loved to read. Um, tried writing just to see if I could and loved it. So still, still a baby writer. Okay. Well, what about you, Ryan? I write policy. <laughs> for work all day every day and uh, I, it's I, I do enjoy it but uh, I, I like getting out of it and kind of I prefer short stories but uh, I don't know it's just it's a good escape mm -hmm. but sometimes after sitting in front of the computer all day for work or traveling somewhere for work and the last thing I want to do is sit in front of a computer for another five hours and hope to get one paragraph done. <laughs> yeah, it's about how it goes. <laughs> I guess uh, the writer's block or coming up with new ideas is always the curse of writers, new or old. Ideas is, it's never the problem. I, we both have so many ideas. We'll, we'll die before we can get to all of them. Um, it's sort of deciding which one to pursue and then to see through to the end. Um, and then to figure out, is this a short story? Is this a book? Is this a novella? Um, that's the hard part. But as far as the actual idea, we've got them coming out our butt pretty much, right? Well, what do you like best about writing horror stories? So me personally, I, I grew up with horror. I was a military brat. So I did a lot of reading in foreign countries because we didn't have many English channels. And uh, 
so I'd read and then we had a few VHS tapes that were old horror movies and I would watch those and I just so horror got its hooks in me when I was a young kid mm-hmm. and uh, I've always been pretty creative and I don't know I just it's kind of fun to watch people's reaction or hear somebody say something about how your story did something like me personally one of the best compliments i can get is oh that story made me sick to my stomach (laughs) or oh that was terrible what's wrong with your brain like how can you come up with that kind of stuff and i love it it's just Mm -hmm. it kind of makes my day when i've got a friend that he looked me square in my face he's like i feel like i don't even know you (laughs) i've gotten that as well people are like what what is your search engine like? Oh yeah. God, don't get our search engines. Yeah, I, I think for her, for Holly, like every other search, she's got to put like <laughs> for a book. I'm a writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Holly, you've had multiple entries of short stories, so mm-hmm. you've had touched on a lot of different uh, horror subjects. Uh, these include horror anthologies. Do you notice a difference between being part of a collection of writers and working on a solo project? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I like a short story. It's a good way to get some of these ideas out without the time commitment of a book. Um, and then, there, you know, everyone has shorter time uh, attention spans now, so they're getting more and more popular. But I like being part of anthologies because you feel like you're in this family, even just for just that minute you know, during the release, there's excitement um, and you share a table of contents with people and you feel like there's this connection there. And um, and I've made friends with people by sharing table of contents with them on previous books. Um, so it's nice to be a part of the community because writing is very solo, very lonely activity. Well, um, Bigfoot's not your only horror subject. Uh, you wrote Parachute, which deals with alternate universes and then, as you mentioned, uh, Come Join the Murder is more of a true crime murder story. Where do you get your uh, varied inspirations? Hmm. Well, I know. So growing up, uh, you know, we always read what's around the house, what our parents have. And my mom was a huge Stephen King fan. Uh, but of course, so I think that's every horror author grew up reading their parents' Stephen King novels. Yeah. But also she she's a huge true crime fan. And we always had these coffee table books of I mean, like coffee table books. This is how gr- gruesome of moms who killed their children, like an insane amount of moms who killed their children <laughs> books and a little concerned to sleep at night. But those uh, that, those the darkness kind of sticks with you of it, the um, that thrill of sort of towing that line of danger but not really being in danger um kind of sticks with you it's just fun it's a lot of fun well speaking of fun ryan i had a i was looking at your collection of books and uh, (laughs) i really i had to ask i mean because you have a different kind of collection outside of the eastern falls these are the big clocks each one's titled after a different color such as the big blue clock what is the point of this series? <laughs> I'm going to stay out of this one. Oh, so, it was a joke. <laughs> and uh, Our great nephew. Yeah. So, nephew, uh, sitting there staring. He was probably <laughs> two. two. It's time. 
talking about the big clock on the wall. But he was saying it wrong. <laughs> so uh, you can say it. Yeah, I'm not going to. He would say Ryan yeah, Ryan no. would egg him on. He's like, What is that, Billy? What is that? And he's like, It's a it's a cock. And he's like, What color is it? He's like, It's a black cock. <laughs> yeah, so, Sorry. <laughs> so I thought it was hilarious. So I thought, you know, if I did a book and I wanted it to be safe for kids, <laughs> but funny for their parents. I guess. So, so, <laughs> so that's what I did. And so I did all the different colors. And uh, yeah, I'm, it's not my proudest moment. <laughs> I think it's great. But uh, pe- <laughs> some people think it's hilarious and some people think I'm garbage. It's just, yeah. It's a 50. I thought it was funny. A bunch of my friends think it's funny, but uh I agree. I thought it was, it was funny. <laughs> it's good to hear. <laughs> now we met at the Spooky Empire Convention. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, how does it feel traveling across the country and meeting your readers face to face? It's really cool. Um I I get uh, I'm social anxiety and stage fright pretty bad. Uh so trying talking to people about my book, it's hard he's way better at that stuff than i am um but you know you've got this booth and people are coming up and they're like so tell me about your product whatever it is and you're having to sort of convince them to buy your stuff and i hate doing that oh and i mean i'm like oh my wife's a superstar go check her out she's awesome (laughs) he's having he's smoking with people outside telling them all about and people come to the table and they're like yeah your husband uh said to come check your book out (laughs) I mean, he came to our booth and sold us on <laughs> your book. He'd see, see. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so I, I don't, uh, I'm not in it for me at all. Like I, I push things for, for her. She works 10 times harder than I do when it comes to the writing. And I, I'm just proud of where she's gone with it. And uh, I, I'm actually happy to be the the husband that gets to brag about you know he's the hype guy yeah and a very successful one yeah yeah you have to give you props on that that you do a great job well, i mean if, if she put out garbage work i probably wouldn't be as ecstatic but i love it uh, she hasn't put out a piece that i didn't like and i thought parachute was going to be the one i didn't like and i told her from the get-go I was like, this doesn't it. sound like anything that i would want to read and then I told her, I said, the first 26 pages, I was like, ah. And I, I edited it down. Uh, and then I I still finished, but from page 27 till the end, I was hooked. I was like, you had me. It was great. Where'd you come up with this shit? Like, this was this was awesome. And uh, But yeah, I, was, I, I feel bad because I didn't think that uh, it was going to be a good story. And it's, it's one of my favorites. And I ignored him and went ahead with it anyway. You did. And I did. Yeah. That's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to share some uh, upcoming next books? So I was in a few anthologies this year, but really exciting one is coming out in March. And it's uh, edited by Rebecca Rowland. And this is the, uh, is that great? Yeah, it's I called, saw the image on your Instagram. 
Yeah, it's called American Cannibal. Uh, Lynn Hansen designed the cover. She did a great job. Yeah. Um, oh, do you think Rebecca's going to listen to this? I hope so. Oh, Becky Rowland. Everybody <laughs> Don't loves call her, her Becky. <laughs> she hates that. <laughs> or Rowland. <laughs> Rebecca Rowland is the editor. And um, this has a great table of contents. I'm really proud to be a part of this one with some really cool authors. Um, so that's in March. Uh, we... So Ryan and I and Rebecca Rowland and Douglas Ford, who's also in American Cannibal, he, um, Douglas and Rebecca and I shared a table at Spooky Empire. Um, we've become friends and the four of us are all writing novellas to be a part of a collection regarding food shortage horrors and it's charity and it, the uh, proceeds are going to go to a local food bank here uh, on the coast. Wow, that's it's, a clever idea. That'll be, I think we're shooting for May, yeah. June. I think we're shooting for June with that one. So we'll see how that goes. And I, I'll have a collection coming out next year. I already have the cover for it, but I haven't announced it yet. So I can't show you, but Lynn Hansen also designed it. She's great. Um, and that's just a collection of short stories. So that's, oh, and hopefully Bigfoot 2 yeah. will be out next year. It's a tough one. It's hard. I travel for work a lot and it's so sporadic and I, I don't get a lot of notice like just the last three weeks have been california florida dallas back to florida yeah back to florida well we're coming up to the end of our uh interview i wanted to offer you the opportunity of any final words for our audience yes. buy our books no okay <laughs> what are you doing? Although i'm doing that plug <laughs> listen to within the mid mist podcast <laughs> yeah. this has been great i i appreciate your time and yeah. uh it's, it's just been awesome getting to talk with you for a little while thank you well, great well for those who are interested in checking out more about both of these amazing writers they can be found on social media such as facebook and instagram you can purchase their books on Amazon where they each have an author page, or you can visit their websites, hollyraygarcia.com and ryanprentisgarcia.com. I will be sure to have all of the uh, links in our show notes, so be sure to check them out and keep up to date on what they have coming. Now, being sure to stay on the right path when I go to the woods next time, I think this is a great place to make our exit from within the mist. I want to thank you all for your uh, participation in our interview. And hopefully the next time that you pick up a book, you'll explore more of the Bigfoot mystery. Thank you, everyone. And remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Thank you.